Conversations with Pioneers, hosted by Refulue Tobeja. She's a go-getter. Tenacious. Resilient, without a doubt. Intelligent, most definitely a thinker. She sets the pace. Welcome to yet another edition of Conversations with Pioneers and I'm Rifilwe Tobeja. Thank you for joining me. This is where I introduce you to the next generation of innovators, pioneers, entrepreneurs, the movers and the shakers. Today, I'm in conversation with Clive Matibe. He's a producer who has been involved in the arts industry for over a decade. After completing his degree in drama, he gained a reputable name as one of the most striking post-apartheid young directors in SA Theatre. His work in theatre, television, corporate theatre, live events and award shows is a testament to his diverse skills and abilities in the arts industry across various platforms and media. Welcome to the show, Clive. Wow, what an incredible intro. Thank you so much for having me, Rufile. You're welcome. One of your first theatre productions, written and directed by you, 10 Ways to Kill a President. Please tell us a little bit about it. Well, 10 Ways to Kill a President was a production that was devised by myself and Janine Lewis, who was my lecturer in drama at the Tony University of Technology. She was my physical theater lecturer. And I also devised, you know, another divisor in the piece was Vusi Bjorham, who's a great fine artist right now. And he had this umbrella concept called Gaffer Paradise. And under Gaffer Paradise, he had a couple of, you know, concepts, art disciplines or concepts that he wanted to kind of carry out through various art disciplines. And one of the disciplines that he wanted to do through was through theater Mm -hmm. and so he approached us to do 10 ways to kill a president and at the time i remember that the zuma was still the president of south africa i think it was during his (laughs) second term Mm -hmm. uh it was during the time of you know the scandal study soe with I think it was the first SAA scandal with one Mm. of the ministers at the time. It was during the time of uh, Orania, you know, us hearing about Orania for the first time and that there was a a whole wide community who were being governed by under their own rules and uh, regulations, so to speak, in their own country. Mm -hmm. So 10 Ways to Kill a President was coming out at a time where President Jacob Zuma, during his first term as a president, and I think it was exposing exactly the kind of nation that South Africa was post a rainbow nation this rainbow nation that we thought we were you know I think during Nelson Mandela and and you know very much during Mr. Tabombeki we were still very much under the honeymoon you know so to speak you know and I think when President Jacob Zuma came into power in his seat a lot of things and a lot of ills about South Africa were exposed and 
we then came to suddenly realize that, you know, we're not this perfect nation. We're not this reconciled nation. There are a lot of ills that we still have to deal with and we're not just going to be able to just kind of sweep them under the rug through this thing called a reconciliation. Uh, so 10 Ways to Kill a President was that. It was made up of a cast of five males, a beautiful, beautiful seasoned cast. And as I said before, it was very early into my years in the industry. I think it was my first year out of varsity and I was privileged to direct uh, Deepo Tindisa and Talo Tokwe and Abatile Ramasodi, who's quite big right now, Henny Janse van Rijnsberg, who's no longer acting, he's now living in the States, and Brendan Oret, who at the time was popularly known as Dupe on Istingo. So it was an incredible cast of five men and, and those five men played with us and went on this journey with us and and, uh, you know, I remember how it toured all over South Africa. We went to Grahamstown, the National Arts Festival. We came back to uh, a state theatre and, and then we also did Mafikeng as well. So so in a nutshell, big, bigger than a nutshell, I think, Rufina, that was 10 Ways to Kill a mm. President. <laughs> oh, wow. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about, about Clive growing up. Kulimbobo, you know, how did you get into the arts and uh, who were your role models? I've got an interesting, you know, upbringing. Yes, I was born because that's where my mother comes from. But mm. my father, uh, in the surname that I am carrying right now, uh, my father comes from Hamasklan. And uh, so I was born in Siliting. And when I was about 10 or 11, I, I then came to grow up with my parents. Parents, uh, who were then living in Pretoria, mm-hmm. you know. So my parents met Kotef Teflup at the time. My father was doing an LOB and my mother was studying to become a nurse. And she was from Rampatele and my father was from Amazkral. You know, when I was 10, uh, went to a, a Seventh-day Adventist primary school called Presda. I also went to Holy Trinity, Yamatomo, Yako Winterfell. Soon after that, I went to Presda. I went to high school Yagakile, Go Pro Ate Alpham Park in Pretoria East. And I remember how that particular high school really changed and shaped me, you know. Mm-hmm. I've always come from a family that was an artistic family. We used to sing a lot, you know, and I don't think they knew that they were that artistic. I think they were just doing it, you know, but I had access to the arts through mm-hmm. through the people that raised me. And so when it came the time for me to go to high school, I remember my mom's friend advised her, you know, so we went to Pro Arte for the open day and then I went to Pro Arte and, and that's how I remember walking into my first day go Pro Arte and I just thought to myself my goodness this is me if there ever was me and I was only 13 at the time and I saw people who looked like me people who expressed themselves like me people who didn't express themselves like me but I just I just saw freedom and I saw art and something else that I also saw when I went to Pro Arte was boys who also expressed themselves like me because I was a young black gay man 
who right. didn't necessarily have access to those kind of references, you know. Mm-hmm. I grew up being told, or, you know, so my mom always had to fight people off about, no, you know. And, mm-hmm. and from a very young age, I then knew and understood that this was my sexuality. And so mm-hmm. so that's what Pro Arte Often Park did for me and that art school. And then I went to, you know, because I fell so much in love with drama in, in high school, in my class, I remember I went to same class with Mandisa, Mandisa Nagana. Mandisa was doing your TV at the time. She was the biggest star in the country. Mm-hmm. And then Puti, Puti Komu, who then became Miss South Africa, Miss S18 at the time. So I grew up in that kind of school. So there was no way I wasn't or I was going to doubt or I have to go into this field because it was around me. And more than that, I saw what that could look like in terms of it translating into a career through people like Bumandisa and through what happened to Puti's career. Then I went to Pretoria Technicon. Um, I just exposed my age there. Pretoria Technicon, not (laughs) (laughs) T-U-T. And... (laughs) And that's where I studied drama and then the rest is history. Absolutely incredible. Take us on a journey. Let's travel back in time from now to everything that you have created for South African theatre. I think after 10 Ways to Kill a President, I created Eight Minuets, which was a piece that I did for my fourth year directing project in Varsity. And Eight Minuets was a four-hander of four women. It was an all-woman play. And that's the piece that really kind of what cemented Clive Matibe into the theater industry. And Eight Minuets is kind of a theater piece that introduced my style of directing into the theater industry. That was the next piece that I did after 10 Ways to Kill a President. And I think a lot of people, when they think of Clive Matibe in theater, I think they think Eight Minuets, you know. And then after Eight Minuets, I was privileged enough to do a piece that was commissioned by the Market Theatre Foundation, Cincinnati, called Cincinnati. That was a piece written by Barney Simon, and uh, he was actually the first person to direct Cincinnati. And after Barney Simon, I was the second person to direct it. That was 25 years on, and it was a celebration that the Market Theatre was having of uh, Barney Simon, 25 years after his passing and mm. you know Cincinnati was the piece that they they wanted to use to celebrate his legacy and and I was lucky enough to be identified as the director to you know carry out mm. that voice and that vision also did a piece called Soul that I also directed and wrote at the National Arts Festival some years back. Gosh, I can't even remember when that was. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my theater journey in a nutshell. Awesome. Let's talk about last year, okay? You collaborated with poet Nabo Mashiani on a piece titled My Vagina Was Not Buried With Him, which opened at the Toronto International Festival of Authors. Let's talk a bit about that. My Vagina Was Not Buried With Him was a piece that I collaborated with acclaimed poet and theatre maker Napo Mashiani, who's also a good friend of mine. You know, mm-hmm. I think when that opportunity came, it just came out of nowhere. You know, Napo had always been telling me about how she wanted to do a piece that speaks or that responds to the violence that has been perpetuated on women in South Africa. I mean, I think, Rufilo, you and I both know how 
how women in South Africa have not a, had a great time. Women don't feel safe in this country. Women cannot walk the way they want to. They cannot wear what they want to wear. They cannot say what they want to say because they're being violated upon in this country, you know? Yeah. I was really honored when Napo approached me about this and she was like, I've really always been wanting to tell the story because I feel like we live in a country that has always abused women, that has always looked down on women that has not always been kind on women mm -hmm. and as a person who is quite a feminist myself i mean from works that i've done before like eight minutes where i was looking at issues like this i i just thought to myself this would be a great opportunity plus it was napo mashiani and the toronto international festival of authors i really was honored to want to t tell the story and the piece was inspired by garabo and uinene and tseho you know so the piece was surrounded by those three characters and it was a one woman play and and she was performing it and it was it was around those three souls at the time so we wanted mm -hmm. to create a piece that can resonate with south africans and south africans mm -hmm. at that time you know because i think what theater has had become for a very long time was something that is stagnant you know we know we've got sarafina we know we've got ipintombi we know we've got all those beautiful things, Waza Albert, the island, all those classical plays. But I think what was starting to happen is that theater was not reflective of our times anymore, you know? And so I wanted to become a part of a generation that reflects this time, you know? Because what are kids that are going to be looking at our generation 30, 40 years from now going to be saying about the work that we're making? They, they certainly cannot be saying that we were making work from 40 years before us you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. so that's what was so exciting also about working on my vagina was not buried with him it was advancing theater and using theater to be relevant for today to use this craft that we've always loved to tell stories about today i absolutely love that what gives your work a refreshing and unique artistic interpretation and experience i mean where do you draw from my inspiration is from things that happen on a daily basis, but it's also from things that, that have happened before, you know. I think because I am an artist that has gone to school, <laughs> uh, there, there, there's a lot of people and influences that I have from my school days, from my education days. I've learned a lot about, you know, your Robert Wilsons, your Meredith Monks, and, you know, great artists and different styles of theater and art artistry that one can follow and i think that's the great thing about school you get to learn as an artist because we are all born as artists right and we're all born mm. with this inherent talent but what school does is that it introduces you to many other artists and many other artists who have done different other things and from learning about all these other artists and artistries and different forms of making that art you are able to then shape your your voice and uh, define what your voice is you know so it is about oh. learning all the time that's what influences me oh that's great it sounds like you're sipping on something something tantalizing over there no darling we have to sip on something tantalizing the president has just opened the doors <laughs> <laughs> And now, <laughs> let's talk about 2021. You are adapting Father Come Home by the iconic Eskia Mpahlele into a stage play that you also direct at the Market Theatre. 
How did this one come about, Clive? Oh my goodness, you know, I've always been a fan of Eskiam Pachele. I mean, from the time yeah. that, you know, the first play that I saw at the Market Theatre was directed by James Ngobo and it was The Suit. And it's also a, an adaptation of Eskiam Pachele. I fell in love with theatre then. I remember I was still at um, Pretoria Technicon and they took us on an excursion to go and watch this play at the Market Theatre. Mm -hmm. And James Ngobo was the first black director that i saw and he had a musicality about him and this story was just so incredible about blackness you know it was a different kind of black story than what i've been exposed to before you know oh wow so when the opportunity came for me to do father come home actually let me tell you about how that came about i i was meant to james Noble in 2018 19 then approached me and said you know i've just found this beautiful beautiful my brother found this beautiful novel by Eskiam Pakaili. Uh, it's called Father Come Home. And I was like, my goodness. And there was this, this was just the only copy in the country of this novel, you know? Yeah. And uh, he found it from an artist called Chipape. Chipape has, is actually the designer of the post of Father Come Home because he's part of the story. Yeah. Chipape gave James this book and James read it and he was like, my gosh, this has to be done in Sibid, you know? And I know just the perfect person to adapt it. And then he yeah. told me about the story and uh, I was incredibly honored, uh, you know, and I didn't even think that James remembered that I was born Rampathel. I I read the book and I loved the story. I fell in love with it, you know, mm -hmm. because at the time somebody else was going to, to direct it and I was meant to just adapt it. So after I adapted mm -hmm. it and I remember I was adapting it with an eye of a director, you know, <laughs> And I just imagined how I could put it on the floor. But I know how to separate myself from the two, you know. So I really knew I came with the hat of serving the story. Beautiful, beautiful experience in itself. And then the director was no longer going to be available for it. The lady who was, uh, and it's Momo Matsunyani. I think she wouldn't mind me talking about saying this. Momo Matsunyani was going to direct it. And then Momo was no longer able to direct it mm -hmm. uh, and available to direct it. And then they were like you know what we've you've adopted it and don't you want to direct it i was like my goodness absolutely and i called momo up and i was like momo they want me to direct this thing and she was like but of course you have to direct it because you adopted it wow and then i just fell more and more in love with it so this was 2020 and then in 2020 uh beginning of 2020 then we then uh auditioned for it vigorous vigorous casting process at the market theater mm -hmm. i remember myself and my partner Lebotoko, who's also a great musical theater performer and producer in his own right were doing the auditions with James Ngobo there and Zota Shongwe we saw so many incredible actors and actresses who were performing Gasebedi oh wow you know and I was so proud I was like my goodness why don't we have more work for these actors and I don't have the opportunity you know just to express ourselves in this language and to have it presented in such in an elevated manner you know so that process in itself just got me so excited 
excited. I then got to get to this cast, a beautiful cast, Shoki Mulla, who is a seasoned actress who's an alumni of Pretoria Technicon herself and, and a big television face. Uh, I then cast her. I cast Josias Dos Mulele, who's another alumni of Pretoria Technicon and a seasoned wow. television and theater actor. And Kiribon Manyaga is everybody who knows Paul Khrutbuom, the incredible Paul Khrutbuom would know Kiribon Manyaga. She was in every piece, dear Paul, from cards to protests to the peace appalls, it's okay, that have been so incredible. Kiribon was in, but I also have a a history with Kiribon. I also cast her in in Eight Minuets. She's a beautiful, beautiful actress. Um, And then I also cast Tao Masarimole, Mm -hmm. who went to the Market Theatre Lab. You know, he's an alumni of the Market Theatre Lab. And, you know, just to give you an idea of the caliber of the actor he is, he went, he was in the same class as as Warren Masimola, Market Theatre Lab, and they're actually best friends, but they are beautiful, beautiful, beautiful actors. I'd actually, I want to do a piece with Dawi and Warren one day, the two of them. Mm. And then the last actor is Marcus Mabusela, who is a young actor who's beautiful as well from Pretoria that is doing, you know, a lot of films right now. He's in television, he's upcoming, but he's also the kind of guy that you will see on your billboards when you're driving on the N1, you know. Mm -hmm. So he had a nice appeal as well. So the cast was beautiful, you know, and that's how this piece then came about and came to life. Wow, amazing. Now let's talk about your TV credits. I know you've you've done a lot. The the first one that comes to mind is, is Motswako because last year that's when Motswako won that award. Oh my goodness. Motswako season 20 and season 19, I, I had the privilege of producing. And mm. um, you know, whenever you do shows like Motswako that have been around forever and ever, it's difficult, you know, because mm. you have the pressure of you're coming into a space where television has really evolved people have so many options now you know half past eight or eight o'clock is no longer sbc one two and three you know people have so many other things to choose from so that's the kind of space and environment that i was coming into as a producer of mzoago in season 19 and season 20 uh i was really really excited again i will i'll express to you how much i really love creating content for women and and content that empowers woman mm-hmm. so i was privileged enough to have the opportunity to produce it and last year the recent season that won the feather award for media was a season that i felt was really reflective of the kind of Motswako that I wanted to produce, a kind of talk show that is progressive, that speaks about issues that women face in a progressive manner, Mm -hmm. that doesn't speak down to women, that is a platform for diversity and that reflects women in their diverse form, you know, that women are not just people who want to get married, not all women want to get married, not all women want to have children, you know. So how do you create a platform that can have all those conversations Oh, that's great. So let's go through your other TV credits. After Nine was actually the first television production that I got to work on. And it was, you know, quite revolutionary at the time. You know, the first drama series on the um, uh, South African Broadcasting Commission, you know, which is a national broadcaster that was, you know, speaking to issues of homosexuality and queerness. And it wasn't anything that I intended to get onto. It was really just one of those things where 
where you know my friend Tammy Dish, the founder of the Feather Awards, mm-hmm. was launching the Feather Awards this one year. I think it was 2016, and I had always been working with him. I worked on the first from the first Feather Awards, and he introduced me to the producers at that launch. And he was like, you know what, this fella is a writer, you know, so you should you know kind of use him on this show. And and the creators called me up the following week and they were like you know we're starting a new season of after nine and we're looking for queer writers and would you like to be a part of it and Mm. and then that's how i really became a part of after nine and it was that season and the season after that then Mm. after nine that's where i got to be introduced to who is quite a legend in himself you know he then took me through to work with him on his other production that happened after after nine which was also an SABC one commissioned show called Ihawe. You know, Ihawe Sizwe was a political thriller uh, on yeah. SABC one, and and that for me was so exciting after having done 10 ways to kill a president and it was basically having the opportunity to do 10 ways to kill a president on a television platform you know on a bigger platform you know uh it was issues that i was already and always interested in issues about colonization white collar crime espionage and all the the interesting political issues that were in the very diverse political landscape that was south africa at the time and, and then I did, that's how I got to do Howler Caesar, which was then uh, nominated for a SAFTA. And, and then in the same year as we were doing Howler Caesar, then, then After Nine got invited to come and do, to be a part of a panel at Input. Input is a an international television conference, mm-hmm. television and, and film conference that happens in Helsinki and in Europe. So they actually change the years, and the, the venues every year. Mm-hmm. And input then recognized after nine uh, under the category of a television that makes impact in communities, you know. And they wanted us to sit on a panel, you know. And unfortunately, we were not even able to go, you know. If it was in the age of where we could have virtual conversations and participation like this, I'm sure we were going to be able to to be part of that. But but anyway, that's, it was interesting and highly exciting, more than interesting. It was exciting to be part of TV that kind of had an impact in the retrospect when I think about it, that made waves even on international platforms such as in Oh, wow. Absolutely incredible. Clive, you've also managed to extend your career to creative producing for award shows. Has this allowed you to take theater outside of the conventional spaces and lend your voice to areas outside of theater platforms? Absolutely. I think, you know, the work that I and the niche that I'm creating for myself through my company, Second Round Productions, which is a company that I co-own with my partners, Klapang. Pizzo, who's an incredible production manager and co-producer and my last partner and, and business partner Lev Dogo. we're trying to kind of create a space where we can take theater to corporate spaces you know yes mm. there are the award shows that we're able to do and and one that we're very proud of and that we've started with since inception is the Bogoto Awards produced mm. for Carol Bauer Productions and we've been the creative producing company ever since it's inception and one thing that we've always wanted to do with all the award shows that we get 
get involved in is tell stories. We don't want to ever do a production where we're just saying, let's call Shoma Josie to come and perform and then I entertain about what he's about. What are people getting out of it is what we've always asked out of ourselves. And what are we trying to say through this platform? Mm-hmm. How are we presenting a Shoma Josie in a different way than she's mm-hmm. been before? And how is that kind of artist relevant to the bigger story and the theme that we're trying to say with the, the awards show of that year? So I think with all the awards shows and, and the, the corporate events that we've been involved in, even with the work that we do for the Nelson Mandela Foundation, it is about storytelling and it's about how we use our craft as storytellers to invoke feelings, to create conversation to have impact beyond the the entertainment value because art is entertainment no mm. entertained oh yes we're gonna be entertained when when shoma josie performs when aka performs we're gonna be entertained when quest up sings we're gonna be entertained but i think the difference between the kind of productions that we do and anybody else is how are we then using the voice of a quest star of an aka whoever the artist may be how are we using that artist to to say something that is bigger than themselves and contribute to the bigger message through their craft. Amazing. You are considered to be one of the most prolific voices in the South African arts landscape. How does this make you feel? It makes me feel, well, uh, it's an incredible honor. Mm -hmm. And it's an honor that I don't take for granted because I also know that it's an honor Mm -hmm. that is being bared by people who are not always going to be honored, that it's not going to come with fame, it's not going to come with big paychecks, but you're going to always have the opportunity and platform to make a difference, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what it means to me. You know, it means that I have the opportunity to keep changing the narrative to use my voice to influence to impact and to change the story wherever it, it be needed so so that's what it means to me and it also means that I cannot ever relax or feel that I have arrived because it's not up to me I'm just carrying forth a baton that's been passed on to me yeah oh yes you know a lot of people are dying to get into the essay entertainment and arts space right is talent enough talent is not enough we've come to a time in the south african and african arts landscape and internationally quite frankly where talent is necessary because Mm. now we are in an industry where anybody feels like they can have an access to it right anybody feels like they can take pictures and be a photographer anybody feels like they can make a couple of beats on garage band or whatever the latest software is and they can be called Mm. musicians you know Mm -hmm. so talent now has become important you know before we used to say talent is not enough you have to work hard you have to be educated but i think now we've come to a point where we're going back to basics and talent is very necessary but uh, Mm -hmm. with that said 
once you do have talents it is not enough you know because of the reasons that i've stated above you know you're fighting against so many of those things where you know you have to be talented you have to be educated you have to be hard working you have to be resourced you have to be determined you have to be so many things and it's become so much harder to not just participate because it's easy to participate and you know i'll make an example of somebody like g65 may her soul rest in peace and and other social media stars mm-hmm. that come in that may be considered to not have talent or be considered by others to do have to to have talent but then uh, you know where does it take you is it sustainable is it something that's going to feed you for a long time mm-hmm. or are you just going to become a social media sensation so over and above us being talented and hardworking and educated we need to to have all those things in order to have sustainable careers because you know if we are not in these parts of life in these industries to just have fun you know mm-hmm. this is our livelihood and there is so much that is needed in order for you to actually survive in this industry mm-hmm. and in actually for you to actually have a self-sufficient career mm-hmm. so talent is not enough it's the things i've mentioned and so much more if you're going mm. to actually have a thriving career in the arts. That is powerful. I love that. Talent is essential. Talent is necessary. However, once you have talent, that's not enough. Wow. So how do we keep up with you on the socials? Well, you can follow me on my Instagram. It's uh, Clive Matibe. And on Facebook, it's also Clive Matibe. I am not such a big Twitterer because it's your hectic out there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you can find me on those platforms. And it's been absolutely incredible chatting to you and everybody out there that's listening to this refilio. Oh, but of course. Clive, your work is not only striking, but it's also inspiring and evokes transformation while propelling necessary introspection needed to change our society for the better. Salute, my brother, and keep going. Thank you so much, Rufilo, for having me. You're welcome. That was Clive Matibe, who continues to be a pioneering artist in the South African arts landscape, who has established himself as one of the few writer-directors working in theater, television, corporate, and special events. Thank you, Clive, for coming on the show. Thank you, Rufile. That's a pleasure. Wow, what an inspiring conversation. I hope you had a great time listening to that. I know I had a wonderful time. Reach me on Instagram and Twitter at Rifilwe Tobeja, Facebook page Rifilwe Tobeja, and LinkedIn Rifilwe Tato Tobeja. Remember, if you want to reach us for whatever reason, send that email to info at refilwetobeja.com. Otherwise, let's do this again, same time, same place next week, and salute. Conversations with Pioneers, hosted by Refilwe Tobeja.